0: My friends, this is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord of Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks Sabrina. So I've been over there for most of the service choking on something, and I've had to sneeze all morning long, so let's hope the only thing that comes out today is the gospel, amen? (laughs) Uh, So we should pray (laughs) before we do that. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful uh, that we can gather and and hear hear the scripture read, hear such good news read directly uh, from our brother Paul, and grateful that we can now hear the gospel proclaimed, hear how it influences and guides every part of our life, how your story Um, defines and shapes every part of ours. So as always, we pray that you'd open our minds and our ears and our eyes and our hearts that we could receive what you have for us. And as always, that we would go out from this place and put it to use, that we would do the truth as the Gospel of John says, that our hands and our feet would be put to work and that we would be courageous and bold and willing to speak as you lead. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So 208 Greek words with no punctuation. That's the length of the first sentence in the letter to Ephesians. Everything Sabrina just read. It's one sentence in Greek. And no English translation even tries to do this because that's just not how our language works, right? All the English teachers would be up in arms at the grammar, (laughs) It's actually not how the Greek works either. (laughs) Paul doesn't care. As he's writing, there's almost like this breathlessness that you feel when you try to read it without the natural pauses that we put in to make it more readable. I was trying to read it this way with a group earlier this week, and one person said, it sounds like he's a kid who's just so excited he can't stop the words from coming out. (laughs) I like that what it feels like. And Paul is right to be breathlessly excited about what he has to say, about what the Spirit's put on his heart because those 208 Greek words, they're filled with the best news that any human could ever receive. I wonder if you heard that as Sabrina read today. If you heard the best news any human could receive. Sometimes in our hearing of Scripture, we've lost the ability to hear and to listen. Last week, I read to you the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians, and uh, many of you actually, after all three services, asked what version I was reading from. Um, It's a version called the New Living Translation, or the NLT. That's actually what Sabrina just read from as well. And that version is great for reading long sections of Scripture because it's super readable, it's easy to follow. Um, it does sacrifice some accuracy in translating the Greek so that it's more readable in English. So today, in, in the weeks to follow, what we're gonna do is you're gonna hear the whole passage read at the start of the sermon, and then we're gonna go back through and we're gonna break it down piece by piece. Every scripture, every week, you're actually gonna hear twice. And as we break it down piece by piece, we're gonna use other translations so it can guide us into deeper understanding of what's going on. But I'm saying all this off the bat because I I really don't want us to get too hung up on the issue of translations. People ask us all the time, what translation do we recommend that you buy and read? And we always have the same answer. Whichever translation you will actually read. (laughs) That's supposed to be funny. Is that not funny? Let me try it again. Whichever translation you'll actually read. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) So we're going to use different translations as we go through the series in Ephesians. And I want you, as you hear it, be listening for the one that just makes the most sense to you. Listen for ones that just speak your language. It sounds natural to you. And then I'd encourage you to use that in your daily Bible reading. Every time we read a different passage, we're going to put up on the screen the name of that translation so that you can take note of that. So let's get ready to read this. We're going to read it section by section. I will tell you, if you try to read along in your Bible, in your P Bible or your own, it might be hard. These two chapters in Ephesians are known as the most difficult chapters to translate from English to Greek. So in our different versions, they they just don't read the same and it might be a little bit confusing, so just a heads up for you as we get started. So I'm gonna read from the New American Standard for these first three verses. Uh, This is a really accurate Greek translation. I really like this one. So it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just a heads up, anytime you hear one word repeated three times, pay attention, okay? And we're gonna come back to that one in just a minute. But right off the bat, there's something really remarkable that happens and I think we miss it because it sounds like it's just the basic introduction to any old letter, Who is the letter addressed to? What does it say? To the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, if you were here last week, I told you that the first three chapters of the letter of Ephesians, all it does is explain the gospel. And how many chapters total are there in the letter to the Ephesians? Does anybody know? Six. Six. That means half the letter is devoted to just retelling us the gospel, the good news, that in Christ, the kingdom of God has come near, that through his life, death, and resurrection, that we've been united with God, that in all creation, God is making all things new. So my question when I read this right off the bat, if this is written to saints who are already faithful to Christ, why spend half the letter going back over stuff that they're supposed to already know? Now, in other New Testament letters, Paul specifically says that he's writing to address misunderstandings of the gospel. We know that false gospels made, its, made their way into the early churches, and Paul will say in some of his letters, this is why I'm writing, to correct some of these false gospels. He never says that in Ephesians. I told you last week, this letter was not written to address any particular issue or drama in the church. It was written to summarize the gospel story and to explain how it reshapes every part of our story. So why spend all this time? Why spend half the letter going back over things they already know? And I spent the past week asking every group I was with that exact question, just to see what they thought. And when I asked the staff, one person on staff, Emily O'Manya, she said, without hesitation, she said, because the gospel bears repeating. Nobody? Yeah, a little, let see, a couple of nods. It's like, we spent an entire year bear after bear after bear. Bear fruit, bear witness. So I'm just telling you on staff, when anybody says the word bear, there's a lot more chuckling than I just felt in this room right now. <laughs> chuckling, and then we feel like, oh, missed opportunity. So I went and spent the next 20 minutes making this. <laughs> Really good use of time. (laughs) But she's not wrong, right? Like it bears repeating, the gospel bears repeating, I think because it's such good news that y'all, it's just really hard for us to believe it. Like it is such radical news, it's hard for us to accept. It's such a reframing of all reality that as we go and live in the ordinary world, we can We can just be easily distracted. We can forget. There are a lot of distractions going on in the world. There's a lot of things to worry about and think about. And they're important things. But oftentimes we let them distract us from the one thing, the gospel, that can support and guide us through all of it. So for the next few weeks, I just want to encourage all of us together as a church, we are going to hear Paul repeat the gospel to us week after week. We would be really wise to try not to be distracted and to really listen so that we can receive it because it is for us. Next in verse three, uh, some translations, uh, you may have heard it say, praise be to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, here, I read from the NASB, it gets it right because the language should not say praise be, it should say blessed be or simply "bless." the God and father of our Lord. And there is a really important reason for this because that word blessed is actually painting a beautiful image in both Greek and Hebrew and we miss it when we just use the word praise. And look, as I've told you, you're taking a 208 word Greek sentence and you're trying to turn it into something English readers can read. It's a really difficult task. Every English translation is gonna miss some deeper sense of something. And that's okay, that's why we have them all. We have access to all of them. We can put them side by side and it helps us to get the whole picture. But there's a reason I want us to point this word out in particular, this word bless. We use it probably most often in bless their heart, right? That's not what the Bible means. This word bless or eulogia in Greek is such a beautiful word. It's so important. It is so meaningful. We cannot miss what Paul is really saying to us. But it's so important. I'm gonna make you wait to the end (laughs) to hear about it. So flag that. If it's in your Bible, underline it. We are gonna come back to it in a minute. Let's continue on. This is verses four through six. And in this section, I'm gonna read uh, from the New English translation. It's another good uh, translation. If you go online and just search NET Bible, It's gonna pull up a great site that has great notes and great resources for you to read through. So it says this, it says, for he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And he did this by predestining us to adoption as his legal heirs through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he's freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. Okay, now here, y'all, there is some deep theology that reformed Christians love to wrestle with. And by wrestle, I mean argue about. <laughs> and the problem is, we, none of us fully understand it. And it's just two simple words. The word chose, or the word elect is another way to say it, right? And the word predestined. There are volumes of theology written about these two words. And y'all, they are very important words. I don't want you to get me wrong. But all too often, our volumes of theology, I'm afraid sometimes they get in the way of us just receiving the simple beauty of what Paul has to say. Just as an example, just take the word chosen or elect. We have come to believe that if someone is chosen, That means the other one is rejected. So when we talk about election, we think we're saying some are chosen, the other ones are rejected. But that is never the case in scripture. The story that Beth told earlier is the perfect example. God chose Abraham to be the father of a chosen people. But he didn't do that as a rejection of all the other nations he did it so that the chosen people would be a blessing to all the other nations. He chose Abraham and he chose Israel so that by their faithful witness, they would lead the nations to the throne of God, that they would lead others to know who God is and to fall in worship of him. When Jesus chose the 12 disciples, it wasn't a rejection of everyone else. He just was putting together his team the people that he was gonna train and equip so that once he ascended to be with the Father, now these disciples would be those faithful witnesses. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they could lead the nations to the throne of God in worship. That's the point. Some of you are familiar with R.C. Sproul, a great Reformed theologian, Presbyterian pastor. Um, He, along with others, they remind us of a really beautiful and important truth. That all good theology must lead to worship. Like Sproul says it this way he says, Theology, a conversation about God, must always end in doxology, which is the joyful praise of our Creator. Otherwise, we have not rightly studied the things of God. If our theological conversation is not ending in worship, we're doing it wrong. You see, verse four through six, they're just reminding us of one simple truth. And this is how I would just say it in my words really quickly, that you were chosen to be loved by God, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he chose you before your heart began to beat, before your lungs took a breath, before your mind thought a thought, before your bodies could make a single move. His love for you was so great that it led to an adoption, that God legally bound you to himself through his son, Jesus. And now you have all the rights and privileges that belong to a child of God. You have a greater inheritance than you can possibly comprehend. And he did all this, not because you're good enough, not because of anything that you have done. He did it before the foundation of the earth. Because it brought him great joy and pleasure to do so. If that simple gospel truth doesn't lead you to want to bow down at the foot of the cross. If that simple gospel truth doesn't make your heart skip a beat. If it doesn't draw out of you a deep and loving affection for your father in heaven. Then you do not fully understand the gospel. And I know that's a hard statement. So I want to say it again. (laughs) If the simple gospel truth that you were loved because God chose to love you, not because of anything you've done, that he chose you before the foundations of the earth, if that simple gospel truth that you are an adopted child of God, if it doesn't draw out of you a deep and loving affection for your father, then you don't fully understand the gospel. If our theology does not lead to worship, then we're just not saying the right things about God. This final section, um, the last seven verses, I wanna to read to you as one unit again. And I wanna do that because I think we've already seen that sometimes as we wrestle with scripture, even looking for good theology that leads to worship, sometimes we can get really bogged down. We can get bogged down in the wording that we miss the song. I told the 930 service that uh, Jennifer and Anna and I, while Benjamin was out on mission trip this week, we started watching Stranger Things together. I don't know if you know anything about that show, but whatever. Here's the thing about that show. It has the most amazing soundtrack in the world. It's like all these songs from the 80s, but not like the number one chart topping songs, like the good ones. So all week long, when we go drive around, I put that I put all the soundtracks on my phone and we're listening to it and I'm realizing I grew up with these songs and I have no idea what they're saying. (laughs) I have no idea what they're saying. I thought the song Africa by Toto, I always thought my entire life, I thought he was saying, I got some rays down in Africa, which I was like, why do you go to Africa to get some sun? You live in California. So I look at the lyrics on my phone and it comes up, I bless the rains down in Africa because it gives me time to do the things I've never, oh, well, that makes a ton of sense. All right, now that's helpful, right? But sometimes when you read the lyrics to these songs, total nonsense, (laughs) like they mean nothing, right? And sometimes we start digging into a lyric so much, we analyze it so much, that we've missed the beauty of the melody and the harmony and the song behind it, right? I think sometimes when we read scripture, we analyze it so much, I analyze it so much, that we miss the beauty of the song that God is singing through his spirit and through Paul. So listen again, listen to this song of salvation that I think is being sung as this long Greek sentence comes to a close. And I'm gonna go back to the NLT because this is a good long section. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us Along with all wisdom and understanding, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Just hear it all and let it soak in. What we often miss when we break down scripture is this big picture, wide angle view of just what's going on between us and God, between God and everything he created. In that simple song of salvation, we hear things that we already knew, right? We hear that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that we have an eternal inheritance waiting for us on that day that we come face to face with our savior. And all of that is good news. It is such good news. But it's like Paul is saying, just wait because there's more. He's telling us that God has made the mystery of his plan clear and obvious to us, that we can understand it. He's telling us that we can know God and we can know what God is doing through Jesus and the power of the spirit. He's saying that God has given us gifts, wisdom, and insight so that we can comprehend what God is up to. Then he tells us that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, like this down payment on the inheritance. Who does that? Right? You don't get the inheritance until it's over, right? God's saying, as proof that I mean this, as proof that that inheritance awaits you, I give you the Spirit as a down payment. And as that Spirit lives in you and moves through you and as it transforms you, you're gonna start to see the fruit of it. Because if you're in Christ, you're not gonna be perfect. Not until the end. But in the meantime, you're being perfected. And the Spirit will make you more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind. And he's telling us that when we see that in our own lives and when others see that in our lives, that's proof. It's evidence that we have been adopted, and that we are children of God. Is that good news? (laughs) All good theology leads to doxology. Every right conversation about God will lead to the worship of God. Y'all, this is such good news. Does it lead you to want to worship? If you're reading of scripture and if your doctrine and your theology, if they don't make you want to simultaneously fall to your knees and worship and at the same time jump for joy, then you're doing it wrong. And I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that with you. There's so many times when I go to scripture to get ready for whatever and it's just dry. There's nothing. I'm doing it wrong. I gotta go back to prayer. Maybe read that text in community. Get others to help me light that fire again, right? Y'all, I've loved the same girl for over 30 years. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for is that even after all these years, like that little heart flutter, like I still get it. And I look at her and I remember the first time that I felt it. And I remember dates when we were kids, and I remember proposing, and I remember our wedding day. Like I remember these things. That little flutter reminds me, right? Like I still feel it. When I read scripture, when I'm doing it right, when God is with me, I feel that flutter. It's familiar. Do you feel it? So one last thing before we're done. I teased this earlier. I have to deliver. Um, Go back to verse three. It says, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I told you the same word three times, pay close attention. And the reason that word needs to be blessed and not praise, like I said, is very important. Here's what we're missing. Language in scripture about worship, it always describes something physical with our bodies. The word for worship itself in Greek is proskuneo. It means literally to get on your knees and your face down to the ground in worship. That's just literally what the word means. We are called to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all our soul, and all of our strength. That's the Bible's way of telling us it's a whole self love. It's a spiritual and a physical thing. And biblical language always makes this really clear. I had a professor named Daryl Johnson, he said it this way. He said, every word in the worship vocabulary of the Bible has a particular nuance that involves a particular part of the human body. The word bless involves the hands and the knees. The Greek word is you it. man, I did this at 932. There's a Greek word for bless that I couldn't pronounce at 930 and I'm not gonna do it here either. Uh, It's also used to translate the Hebrew word barak, And both of those words, whether you can pronounce them or not, they involve the posture of kneeling. So here's what he said. This is powerful. He says, to bless someone is to bring them a gift while you're kneeling out of respect. So I want you to paint this picture in your mind of this word. That to bless someone means to come before them, to get down on your knees, to stretch out your hand, and offer them a gift. A gift that was meant for them and for them alone. Are you picturing that? What does it remind you of? Now oh, that word is the picture of a proposal. It's a proposal. That's what that word means. Now listen to the verse again. And with that picture in mind, I want you to see something beautiful. It says, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like, do you see it? Bless God the Father, get down on one knee and offer a gift, the gift of yourself because he first did that to us because he first blessed us. Bless God, but do it as a response to the incredible good news that he has already gotten down on one knee and offered himself to you. A gift he set aside for you from before the foundation of the world. Like when you hear the word "bless," from now on, see Jesus having paid the price of your salvation and see him down on one knee, just asking, hey, will you spend the rest of your life trusting me? Will you let me make you my own? Scripture calls the church the bride of Christ for a reason. Because the gospel starts with a proposal and the story ends in a marriage. He's simply asking us right now, in this in between time, while he's off making preparations for the most elaborate marriage ceremony the universe has ever seen, he's just saying, Will you be engaged? Will you be engaged in relationship with him? Will you trust him more and more every day with more and more of yourself? Will you trust him? Will you join him down on your knees and offer yourself as a gift in return? Y'all, I've had to preach this three times today, and I can hardly do it without crying. Like, do you hear how beautiful this language is? It is such emotional and loving imagery. It's a proposal in a marriage. An orphan child who's been adopted and giving a treasure he couldn't even imagine. Chosen before he could even earn or unlearn God's love. Like, how can we read passages like this and let it turn into dry theology? How can we take passages like this and for centuries fight over who has the best definition of terms. (laughs) All good theology leads to worship. That song that Tammy arranged in the face of tragedy and loss, if you know the story of Horatio Spafford that Todd beautifully told, he was a good theologian. He wrestled in a healthy way with a sovereign God And in doing so, it led not only to personal worship, but it led to one of the great worship songs ever written, that we will sing for generations. All good theology leads to worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what I intended as uh, encouraging and inspirational today that may have been challenging and hard for some. I would pray that if that's the case that your sweet that your sweet message of love would break through. That we would recognize that yes, our tradition is one where we we take intellect and reason into consideration. Our faith is not just an emotional one, but it's also not not emotional. <laughs> that you are appealing to our minds and to our hearts, to our whole being. So God, help us in our reading over the next few weeks that that vast distance between our minds and our hearts, that it would be overcome. That your good news, that your gospel would make the journey so that we not only know the good news, but we know it deep in our core. And then we're willing to share it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.